guys, thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. This is a recording of one of the live monthly shows that we do at the Brooklyn Commons. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And please like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Also, support our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And you'll get all sorts of great bonus content, including an extended interview with Sam Chris, who talks about the UK elections. And for this episode, some stand-up comedy that I did after the show. Hi. My name's Katie Helper. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Uh, By the way, can someone check the live stream is working? I just realized this is so great. We want people to be able to follow along. The hashtag we're using is Katie Help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. Um, on Twitter. Gabe Pacheco is to my left. uh, Gabe Pacheco is, of course, the co-host, the uh, co-driver, the angles to my marks. That's right. That's (laughs) that's correct. That is correct. He actually calls me Chucky, Carlos, whatever. And to my right, Freddie DeBoer, writer, uh, often mad in a good way. Mad online. Always. Always. Always mad. Every day he's hustling and maddening. People are always mad at him, and it's always for always, a, a yeah. righteous reason. Writes for places like Jacobin, The New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, and uh, just overall solid, just solid dude. Solid dude. SD. Cool. Okay, so thank you. Ready to board. And then all the way over to the right, we have a special imported guest all the way from Dublin. We brought her in special for this. And she's the author of Kill All Normies, Online Culture Wars from 4chan and Tumblr to Trump and the Alt-Right. Uh, her name is Angela Nagel. And she writes, yeah, hold for the, uh, <laughs> And her book is doing so well, it's actually sold out. Uh, and she writes for places like Jacobin, The Baffler, um, Ireland's <laughs> newspapers at yeah. large. She just like writes all over Ireland. You can just find got one. That's, that's <laughs> the name of Ireland's newspaper. Yeah. Ireland newspaper. Yeah, that's great. it's actually <laughs> called the I-N-A-L, uh, Ireland newspaper at large. And uh, the theme, so you guys are here for a very special night. We have this, then we're going to have some comedy and storytelling, and then we're going to have some karaoke. So you guys did well. You chose wisely. So we want to talk about free speech tonight, and um, I'm going to start with a kind of open-ended question. And that's going to go to you, Freddie. You know, you and I, we really like liberal think pieces, right? I think of you um, as like the embodiment of the liberal hot take. I feel like your headlines are often like, and it didn't go well, (laughs) or um, (laughs) X number of reasons. Anyway, so Freddie, master of think piece, uh, what do we talk about when we talk about free speech? That's an interesting question. Uh, we talk uh, in a way that, uh, in my opinion, uh, is devoid of power or, c- or considerations of sort of uh, fundamental I- inequities in society that we tend to talk about in every other kind of context. So I tell, I've told the story before, but um, when I was a graduate student at Purdue University, I was getting my PhD in applied linguistics, and uh, uh, Purdue is in Indiana, uh, which was once a purple state, has gone hard red recently. Um, it has a large conservative Christian population, and so when the weather is nice, it's filled with people who proselytize, people who come with Bibles and thump the Bible, and it's also filled with big anti-abortion protests. 
And these anti-abortion protests often have things like very large and graphic uh, pictures of mutilated fetuses. Uh, they have uh, signage that says Black Lives Matter except for abortion. They have um, comparisons to the Holocaust, for example. I was complaining about this on Facebook one day, and someone that I don't know personally, I'm just Facebook connected, or I was, um, said, you should have no platformed them. Uh, I, you, know, you should no platform them and, and give them no places to speak on your campus. Um, so uh, here I am in Indiana with a conservative governor, a Republican-dominated state legislature, a massive and very powerful and organized conservative Christian movement within the state. My university president was Mitch Daniels, who was the former Republican governor of Indiana. Um, if anyone was going to get no platformed, it was going to be us, right? The idea that like, oh, you should just no platform them is based on this very weird idea that the left is going to be the people who get to regulate what speech is going to be said. When we talk about these free speech debates, we're always operating in this bizarre theoretical universe where people like the people sitting in this room actually have political power, and we don't. And we know historically that if anyone's speech is going to be abridged, it's not the right who, if you guys are paying attention, are currently dominating American electoral politics. It's the left. It's McCarthyism, right? It's shutting down pa uh, Palestinian activism on campus, right? Which has been uh, a concerted effort. It's been hugely, pop uh, 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 hugely popular among sort of the conservative administrators uh, at these, these universities. And it's been much more effective than other efforts to shut down hate speech or whatever you want to call it. Um, I do believe in sort of old school kind of John Locke, you know, rights of man, we should have free speech reasons. But even besides that, who do we think is actually going to be hurt by a sweeping new set of abilities to uh, come down and regulate what people can do or say? The very theories that we talk about, like intersectionality or the theories of white supremacy or patriarchy should tell us if anyone is going to be hurt by the attempt to regulate speech because of the division of power in this country, it's people of color, it's gay and lesbian and transgender people, it's women, right? That's what this country is. And I think that we have to think not in terms of this ideal theoretical world where we are the ones who are the censors, but think about how power is distributed in this country and how we're much more likely to be censored. So you're making a strategic as much as kind of moral and ethical argument uh, against no platforming, right? But then isn't the question though, what if, what if the strategic stuff was wrong? Like what, what if it could be proven to you that that, that that wasn't the case and that it would actually benefit the right. If, if free speech only benefited the right in practical terms, would you still support it on a matter of principle? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I absolutely. Like, look, um, there was a time not that long ago where I could come to a space like this, you know, a lefty coffee shop in Brooklyn filled with the kind of people that I'm assuming you all are. I mean, I, you know, pardon me for making assumptions. Um, You're making an ass out of you and me. Um, but, um, and the, the defense of free speech would be a nearly universal position. Um, so my uh, grandmother was a, uh, an activist. Uh, her, uh, her husband, my grandfather, uh, was blacklisted uh, by the Broyles bills, which are Indiana state bills targeting radical educators. Um, and she became an activist in the civil rights uh, and civil liberties um, milieu. So she fought both, for example, she was arrested over a dozen times for doing sit-ins at barber shops that wouldn't, um, uh, that wouldn't cut hair of, of black people. But she was also a strong supporter, a staunch supporter of free speech. 
Um, these things used to be go together. And it's very weird to me how there's been this sort of divorce of this from left practice where nobody seems to have actually come out and like talked about it. I don't remember us having this vote. I don't remember us as a left movement getting together and talking it out. It's just a weird thing that happened mostly on Twitter, I feel like, and just like one day, like, oh, we're against free speech now. Um, and I think it's a mistake, strategically, practically, and morally, yeah. I'd like it better if they said we're against free speech instead of this term, no platforming, which yeah. is such a whack term. No platforming just sounds like a, like a weird lefty version of planking. Mm. <laughs> Or no planking, right? No, pl no planking, no platforming. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, let's just say, let's just call it shushing. Yeah, you're right. It is pretty euphemistic, right? Yeah, it, it's uh, like a colorless term, or col like oh, it's so got no flavor so to it. It's got no, there's no, it's just no platforming. What, do, am I not propping something up? Like, I don't understand But it, it's actually quite a clever kind of play on language in a way, because what they're doing is they're making platforming a verb, you know, and so, Therefore, to platform someone is something that you have to actively go out of your way to do. Right, like boost you know, them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elevate. Yeah, so it's not that you're, it's not a question of letting people have rights or removing rights. It's a, it's a question of actively giving people a platform. Like that, they, they tried to change the debate through kind of changing the language. So what, do we think that there are any instances where people should be no platformed? Part of the problem with this debate is that every time we talk about it, we immediately rush to the extreme cases, like Milo Yanniopoulos, if I'm pronouncing that right, you know, Milo, whatever. So problematic, um, so Hellenophobic. Or, or I know, being, <laughs> being somewhat Greek, I, yeah, he's I don't understand Greek. why the left punches at his name. That's so... Did you say what? Be, being partially Greek. Yeah, you don't understand what the left was? Sorry. Punches at his name Pun so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, it's Greek punching. Forget <laughs> yeah. punching left, it's punching Greek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we gave the world democracy. Yeah, and we Ish. can take it away. Or they can take it away. My people took it away. At least in one part of the world. I, I'm, in, I'm Jewish, so yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, but it's like... You can laugh, Doug. Doug's more, Doug Henwood, Liza Featherstone. Uh, I, thank you for coming. Just giving them a shout out. Yeah. They laugh a lot. Yeah. Look, the, the thing is, is like the Milo and the Richard Spencer, I am not going to weep any tears if they get disinvited from being invited to speak at a campus. Uh, you know, no one is entitled or has a particular right to that, right? The problem is, is that what matters are edge cases. Um, when Ann Coulter got, uh, got disinvited from a college, people said, well, she doesn't really do debate anyway. She's just shouting her usual pablum. But of course, conservatives will say the exact same thing about, say, Michael Moore. And trust me, I'm not going to show up to a Michael Moore uh, sp a speech either. But um, again, embed this in the actual existing power structure of the United States. Okay? Conservative state legislatures have done en uh, enormous damage to our public universities uh, by defunding them, and it comes up every time in these defunding efforts, people say, why are my tax dollars going to support the indoctrination of left-wing values? Uh, I had got into a pretty heated debate with some other academics uh, not too long ago. They said that they would not allow someone to say, make America great again in their classroom because that is hate speech. Because it's already great. Well, <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, w can you say I'm with her in your classroom? And they said, of course you can, right? Um, That's hate speech. So you're talking- That triggers me, that's triggering for me. 
so if you're going to say, yeah, you can say the slogan of the Democratic nominee, but not the slogan of the Republican nominee, you are basically saying, yes, please cut our funding GOP state legislature. I'm sure that the GOP, I'm sure that the Republican legislatures of Kansas or Missouri uh, or, or Alabama are just going to be like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's right. You can say the Democratic one, but not the Republican one, right? What matters is not the extreme edge cases that we constantly debate. It's defining what we actually think is permissible in a campus space, and I have no idea what that is. Like, I have no idea what the line is. If everyone is, is uh, agreed that it probably is cool if Milo or what, whatever is not invited to campus, well, what about who can say what when? I've had people say that you should not be able to, in a college classroom, express dis a disapproval of race-based affirmative action because that's racist to do that. Um, a large majority of, of Americans are opposed to race-based affirmative action. I'm sorry that that's true, but it's true. And you, if you don't think about power and uh, the structures that we're embedded in and how popular these things are, you're leading your own movement off a cliff. Nice. All right, Angela. Yeah, actually, I mean, Milo Yiannopoulos is a good example of how these kind of debates play out because, you know, he did this uh, campus tour that went on for a year or something like that, and it generated constant news. You know, every event generated news, and it was all about the free speech debate. And, you know, it made the left look really bad. Uh, and, you know, there were constant, like, protests. It ended in a huge riot. But as soon as the right decided they didn't like what he had to say, he was gone. Like yeah. within, within a day, he was, his career was completely gone. His huge book deal, he had just been on Bill Maher's show, you know, and it, was, it, it all disappeared. So there's something going wrong with like, it's, the, the debate is clearly being manipulated in some way and we're not being very clever about how we deal with it because we keep coming out looking like the censors, but the right are actually the only ones who seem to be successful at it. Right. Um, on a related note, what is the, the role of violence, um, especially like non, let's say non-human violence, so property, let's say property destruction, okay? okay. <laughs> How, this is an annoying thing, right? What do we do when the left, when we're trying to talk about the role of violence or, or non-violence? I get this a lot, and it's happened on this very stage. You, you bring the issue up and people, knowing that you're left, are like, you know what? Guess who else commits violence? The state. Let's talk about that. Mm. The police. And it's like, yeah, we all know that, right? Like, no one's comparing, no one's pretending that we live in a peaceful society that's free of violence and that there are these, like, lefties coming out of nowhere to FS stuff up, whatever. We can't curse, by the way, reminder. Um, no free speech. No free speech here. <laughs> this is a free speech zone, yeah. Um, I feel like that often gets in the way because people like to virtue signal about how down they are and woke they are about how violent the state is, but that doesn't really get to the question or to the an issue of what the role of violence is. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of the free speech issue, um, a lot of what we're dealing with actually isn't the question of rights in terms of the state as it used to be. It's more a question of is it appropriate to have someone speak on a particular um, platform, you know, or in a university or whatever. And that's actually kind of a different question. I mean, um, you guys obviously have the, um, you know, protection of the Constitution, um, but the same debates are going on kind of all, all over the world, like, on, on this issue. Um, and a lot of the time, the free speech stuff, it, it isn't a question of violence on the part of the state. There's plenty of violence on the part of the state, but not on that particular issue. Um, and so, if it's a case of 
what is appropriate. I think everyone actually, everyone is kind of a hypocrite on the free speech issue because, um, you know, most people always come down on the side of being favorable to their own, to the speech of their own side, with a few exceptions of like civil libertarian kind of groups and stuff like that who sort of have to be straight down the line. Um, but so in terms of the free speech question, I mean, violence isn't really, I mean, I think if there's an occasional riot as a result of, uh, of a controversial person speaking, that's not that bad a thing. Like, or that, that, no, but you know, that just, that just means that you live in a society where there is something at stake that people will actually go that far. You know who else said that? Who? Kind of, Thomas Jefferson. Shade Rebellion, maybe. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's not your country. Don't worry about it. No, but it's just like, you know, um, when, when, <laughs> Uh, you know, when you read about stories of, let's say, like um, people rioting at, you know, the theater, um, like, you know, there were riots at, at the theater in Ireland in the kind of early years of the foundation of the state. It wasn't because people were like savages or something. It was because there was so much at stake that it wasn't just a question of everyone will just debate things and, you know, and, and we'll all just disagree or agree and it doesn't really matter. People... Um, when, when people do that, it's because there's something real there. So it's part of a democracy that that will happen. You said they're not savages, right? Yeah. Would you say that about an English audience? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all this no platforming stuff, I have to say, at the risk of being sectarian, is an import from British Trotskyism. Oh, do tell. And British uh, student union politics. Um, you know, the, the, the term no platforming, I mean, where, where is the exact point of origin, historians I'm sure would probably debate that, so I don't want to say exactly, but it was certainly formalized in British uh, universities. And, um, you know, they were the ones who, who um, the kind of British Trotskyists made it, a, a built up a kind of a cult around it, you know, that no platforming was this really brave, virtuous thing to do. And it was in Britain long before it came here. Wow, so mm. then we definitely have to rebel against it, yeah. the American way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and as we all know, there's no racism in Britain because of that, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> these tactics are super effective, right? I mean, look, um, there's this just really weird, like, a refusal to ask if these things work. Right. Um, France has extremely mm. uh, powerful, for in context, like, have, have really punitive anti-racism laws. There's a lot of racism in France, okay? It's illegal to be a Nazi in France, and there's a huge neo-Nazi problem in France. Mm. They don't work. Mm. What happens in these countries that have these, uh, these laws? Well, if you look at a, a place like Germany, okay? These laws become nuisance laws, okay? The, like the, the enforcement of anti-racism laws in Germany are like nuisance laws. Kind of like, like open container, like open container or loitering, ideology. Or, or loitering. What kind of people are the targets of nuisance laws? <laughs> the people who are the target of nuisance laws are poor people of color. Okay? Uh, so easy to prosecute. Right. Mm. So yeah. easy to prosecute. You are handing the state apparatus, the carceral state, the same carceral state that does things like choke innocent black men to death in the street and you are giving them broad new latitude in order to regulate people's speech. It's always the same cops, right? Anytime we talk about criminality, anytime we talk about uh, making something criminal the way that we talk about hate uh, speech law, which a lot of people I know, very smart, lefty people, want to have hate speech laws, it's the same cops. 
It's going to be enforced by the same corrupt police state system. It's going to be enforced by the same corrupt carceral state. Now look, you have to make some things illegal. I'm not saying that there should be no law, like we're never going to stop murder and we have to have the cops to prosecute murder. But still, do we want to introduce sweeping new powers for our currently existing police force as it actually exists in fact in order to regulate speech? I have a funny feeling I know whose speech is going to get regulated. And it's going to be the same people who get regulated for selling loose cigarettes or bootleg DVDs. It's the same people who are going to be hauled to jail by the dozens and hundreds and thousands for uh, turnstile jumping. Okay? We know what this society does. And when it comes to these uh, hate, uh, hate speech legislation, I'm asking people to apply your same level of analysis about who actually is hurt by the carceral state to that, because you're just going to be giving the same exact cops we already have brand new power. But, okay, is that really going to be the case, let's say, with Holocaust denial? And I'm not disagreeing, I don't, I'm not advocating for laws that make that illegal, but is that, I'm just in terms of the, the population. I mean, I don't, I don't think of, of the big Holocaust deniers as, as being um, lower income people of color. Uh, Where do people talk about things mostly nowadays? on the job uh, where do people i mean like where's your your message going to be broadcast the most twitter yeah the, the, <laughs> the internet right yeah. does, does anyone think that if you we criminalize holocaust denial that people aren't going to find a place to be able to do oh, that no 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 i don't dis so to clarify i don't disagree with, no, I with know. your position i just don't i'm just wondering if that if that's an example of something that would disproportionately i think in general the more we make the more we criminalize, the greater power the state has against the most vulnerable. But what what is the what is the purpose of positing this law that we know can't possibly work? Mm -hmm. Right, the digital era is an era in which I'm sorry if there was ever a time when we could actually regulate what people said. It was before the invention of the smartphone. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, they can't figure out how to shut down ISIS's Twitter accounts. Okay. Like they can't with all the, the 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 weight of the American military state, they can't figure out how to get. Uh, Al-Nusra and all of these groups off of the internet. Uh, it is inconceivable that you're actually going to stop Holocaust denial. So why bother? Why send it them into the, into the niches and into the fringes? I mean, look at the last election. The alt-right didn't come from the uh, Washington Post op-ed page. The alt-right didn't rise up from think tanks. The alt-right came from the fringes on the internet. That's where they gained power. That's, in fact, why they have power, because they're like, hey, psst, come on over here into our dark little corner, and we'll tell you about how the real world really works. Mm. There's, I just, we have to talk about efficacy first. If we don't think this stuff is actually going to work, why bother? Mm. Okay. And yeah. also, people, people Hold on one second, sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bertold, is there any way you can communicate and ask the, someone here if they can make it cooler? Are you guys hot? or there's, I feel like there's UV rays coming onto my face. Does <laughs> anyone else feel that? You don't have them, but are you guys hot? I don't want to... No, you're all, I don't actually, well, It's whatever. just my passion coming yeah, out Yeah, it is, true. <laughs> He's on fire. This, this guy is on fire. Fire, fire. All right, so, Angela. Oh, God, I can't remember. <laughs> I know. Uh, sorry, uh, we were just, he was talking about Holocaust denial. Why do you want to push them onto oh the fringes? Oh, yeah, I mean, I, like, I think it's important, you know, for, like, for people to hear the counter-argument as well, because, I mean, you do deprive people of that. I mean, the idea that, there are just things that we're supposed to agree with without knowing anything right. about them doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I mean, I generally think 
you know, I said everyone is a hypocrite on free speech, but the people who are least confident about their ideas tend to be the most anti-free speech. Yeah. Uh, so That doesn't mean they're wrong necessarily, by the way. It just means that for whatever reason their movement is in decline or um, maybe they're out of practice of actually engaging with people. I think that's what's happened to the left. Right. P people got very intellectually lazy because they they got used to, you know, the left won the culture war and lost the economic war. Um, and people actually got out of the practice of learning how to argue these things. Right. I mean, and I, related to that, I think there is a shaming and there is a forbidden fruit and there's a martyrdom like byproduct, right? So when we s make something illegal or not permit permitted, it makes people who want to do it, I think, feel that more kind of righteous and that more subversive and transgressive. And I think it makes it that much more appealing. And then it makes people who already feel, for better or for worse, who already feel persecuted, feel that much more victimized, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the left on left uh, uh, peer pressure and shaming. Uh, there does seem to be a kind of annoying liberal uh, tendency of shaming that I thought the left was was a little bit better about, but I'm not sure that we actually are. Uh, is that something you've faced at all, Angela? And then, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, like this is the problem because when you kind of um, when you stop debates from happening within your own political milieu you're basically ensuring that they will be unable to have the really big fights when they happen. Um, and it, it just takes the intellectual energy out of a movement to, for everyone to be having these private conversations and then like having to be different publicly and being constantly terrified that they will be always seen as in bad faith. Right. So there's not the kind of like muscu like there's atrophy almost because we're not like showing our eyes. Look, I saw Wonder Woman, okay? And like <laughs> in Wonder Woman, she's got to be on that island for like 800 years. I think that's canonical. It's 800 years that she's training on the island to fight. Like the left, you know, basically what you're saying is that the left has to train like Wonder Woman before they go out. Yeah. And fight. <laughs> Someone had to say it. We all, it was, yeah, thank you. Or you could take another movie analogy too. It could be 300, how the Spartans right. are all like, you know, doing their thing. Or 40 days and 40, what's the one where the guy doesn't have sex for like Josh exactly. Hartnett? 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, like you gotta do, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. Mm. You gotta have these like sort of, you know, until you become the master Bill Murray. Right. No, it, but it is worth actually looking at, you how know. How to train your Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> looking at movements, the rise and fall of movements and at what period in the history of a movement, they were really rhetorically and intellectually powerful, and at what point they sort of lost it. So if you think, that, I mean, there's so many examples, like, it, you know, um, I was gonna give an example of the British left, but, I, but let's say the neocons are actually a good example. I mean, the neocons, totally fascinating mm. story, like, you know, emerged as uh, Marxist but critics of the Soviet Union. Trots, actually. Yeah, sorry. Trots, uh, uh, critics of the Soviet Union, uh, arguing with um, uh, with uh, uh, Moscow loyal uh, Marxists. Yeah, and that was uh, that wasn't me trying to mansplain. I was making a cheap sectarian point there. Right. Sorry. You were sex explaining. Sex explaining. By the way, I think that some people in the audience. I don't mean to to uh, red shame or white shame anyone, but. Can you just very briefly explain what the difference between a trance and a Marxist is? I know that's a very, just so people can follow. Like I, I would prefer not to. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right, well, well, talk to us afterwards because I don't know how to do it in a succinct way. Um, except, yeah, they sell annoying newspapers, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, 
as my late uncle would say, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Trotsky had, he was very, uh, Lenin was a lot closer to Stalin, but still they didn't need to assassinate Trotsky. That was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which is very big of him. Okay, sorry. Uh, so, I mean, but, but, you know, actually, w- one of the things that's happened that isn't talked about as much, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the, the Trump election and everything is um, it, it did kind of, you know, unseat a lot of, like, neocons who were there for some time. And, like, you know, if you, if you read, like, all the stuff that the neocons wrote all along, how they, how they went from um, trots to, to conservatives... They used to be actually a really amazing like group of people, like very you know brilliant. Um, Irving Crystal. Yeah, and and they they made they, they were able to debate anyone. They they had the kind of um, they had the kind of uh, pugilistic uh, thing from from their Marxist background, and uh, and then they slowly just um, declined intellectually. So like, how did that happen? And I think you could say something similar has happened maybe on the left in general, uh, where, um, you know, when there were the riots at Berkeley over the Milo thing, a lot of people were pointing out that, like, this was where the new left had their free speech thing uh, in in Berkeley in the 60s. Um, But it is true that, like, when a movement is really intellectually confident and, like, up for a fight, they tend to be pro-free speech. Mm. And when they start trying to spending all of their time trying to stop other people from getting book deals trying to stop other people from being invited, it's because they're in decline. That's not a nice thought because, you know, it, it means that we're in decline, right. but, but it needs to be rescued, in other words. When did the idea of free speech become a liberal idea versus, like, a left idea? Well, I would say it is a liberal idea, you know, Sorry, intrinsically. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, a, a kind of bougie, anti-left idea. I feel like, and I don't mean it is that. I mean, it's framed as, as that. It's seen as this soft, bougie... Um, pro or con? Pro or con what? Pro or con free speech. Sorry. Who, who, who are you saying is pro or a con? I'm, talking, I'm saying the left. I'm saying there's a segment of the left that's con, that's anti-free speech, that casts free speech as this kind of bougie, liberal, oh, yeah. um, power-free idea. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You may not agree with it. But, but that's, I think just, that's just wrong, right? Like, right, like I know. Ultra-woke liberals are the, are the most sort of sort of like judgmental about free speech at this point. Like I don't I don't think that that's a thing anymore. Like if there's a if there was ever a dimension of like the left shaming liberals no, I, for their support of yeah. free it's speech. I think it's a really crude Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying it doesn't make sense because liberals are the more annoying ones. We should get over that idea. No, I just I just think that there's un- almost unanimity now in like among like media liberals about sort of like free speech is like coded now as alt right or whatever, which right. is disastrous, but Yes, but don't you think there's some left move left? Uh, okay, maybe not free pro free speech, but pro uh, responding to stuff with violence. Let's say. So let's name some people who are pro free speech, like free speech extremists: Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, Rosa Luxemburg, Trotsky, not Lenin, but you know, lots of people in our radical lineage were lots of fact, Jews. Were hmm. lots of. You're welcome. Were uh, were free speech absolutists, right? Um, like this idea. Free? That's problematic. Well, so there's no, 
there, you know, I mean, part of the thing, people sometimes say, well, can, we, can you talk to me about like this free speech debate? And I say, I don't know who to debate because this is, like, this thing is so vacuous, has, a, has such, a little, such a little content to it. Like, people are generally kind of culturally and socially opposed to free speech, but they can't actually articulate to you why, what the actual dimensions are, and who can say what when, right? Um, and the, that's part of the problem with our movement right now, I and mean, by that I mean our broad left of center movement is, um, can, I, can I swear? No. Oh shit. All right. Um, <laughs> nobody, I hope you caught that up there, it's coming. We, okay. don't, we don't do the, um, like, when I was growing up, like the stereotype of the left was like, we just are like theory, head, you know, theory heavy right. eggheads. But um, I don't, I, it just, just seems like people don't actually do the hard work of like talking out their theories, where they come from, doing the reading and articulating like a basic theory. Um, I know that there's a really broad sort of antipathy towards free speech and people use it as a sneer now. But I don't know what the actual like positive case of who can say what when. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what, like, w with all the campus free speech wars, I have no idea who was allowed to say what when. And That's your white privilege that blinds well, you to that. White male, cis, straight. You know, it's the, it's the, it's oh, just, we have to actually, you have to do the work. And part of the problem here, as Angela is saying, is we appear to be weak because we don't do the work, right? Because the way that you, s that you become a member in good standing of the left now is you go on Twitter and you write RT the right people and you, you know, um, and you post the right gifts and you use the right, right language. And we have to reinvigorate ourselves as an intellectual movement that builds our, our theories from the ground up and through reading and like debating and things. Mm -hmm. And we appear to be weak to a lot of people because these alt-right um, altacockers are... Uh, it means old people. Uh, well, whatever. Uh, are, uh, no, I just wanted, yeah, okay. It's put, I, uh, what, putzes? Is that is sure? That, okay, what are these? I'm just kidding. These, yeah, putzes, these, yeah. These bad people are. Um, they are like uh, for everything that's wrong with them. They they love to like see themselves as these new intellectuals. Right. And trust me, they will talk at you for hours, telling you about where their theories come from. Right? Um, when we try to shut down speech, as Angela suggested, we don't look like we're righteous. We look like we're weak. Mm. Yeah. Right? We look like people who don't know how to argue, and that's got to change. What about, so, okay, let's talk about Nazi punching, the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> pro, con, and, and, uh, and I don't want to hear, and I don't think you would do this, but like I was saying before, you don't need to tell me that there, there's violence, okay? Obviously, I have some PTSD with this response. I know that there's violence in the state, on par part of the state. Um, but in terms of the, this maybe is what I meant about, there's, there does seem to be this kind of, uh, like, macho, as, uh, obsession with responding with violence or at least arguing for the right to do so it's often done on by people who don't do that mm. um and probably would be afraid to do that uh where do you think that comes from and 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 how how uh, viable a solution is that same thing with i mean i think on the left there is a certain tendency towards towards by uh glamorizing a violent response and also this is a thing we can do another show on but there's a there's like an anti-liberal anti-anti-gun thing going on, which we can talk about slightly later, but yeah. Mm. Uh, well, um, I mean, I think that those, you know, people are drawing upon a history, a kind of an anti-fascist history, which is rooted in actually trying to stop fascists marching through immigrant neighborhoods. Like, again, that kind of, you know, the, Britain is kind of important in this as well. Um, uh, Kenan Malik is one of my favorite writers, um, 
uh, wrote a, a book about the Rushdie affair, and he starts it with this anecdote about you know Salman Rushdie. Yeah. Just so people, yeah. Um, he starts it with this anecdote about sort of his uh, background in in that kind of uh, anti-fascist resistance politics. Um, but it was specifically to do that. It was fascists marching in order to intimidate people in immigrant neighborhoods and stopping them. I'm fine with that. Right. Uh, more than fine with it. And you know. As for the the punching thing, I mean, people get punched all the time for saying something rude, Dogs. like you know. So, it's not the end of the world if somebody gets punched, right. you know. I mean, but um, but is there a difference between punching Richard Spencer while he's ta and I know this is an edge thing, but I think as you were saying, we do kind of have to get to the theory, right? Well, but so the point is that it's not that I don't want to have a, a sort of conversation about like the the morality, like is it wrong or something like that? No, I don't mean mora almost morally. like almost I mean like on a personal level, it's fine because as I say, people get punched all the right. time for much less. Um, she punched me earlier today <laughs> for like for not uh, saying God bless you because I'm tight when she sneezed. It was awkward. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, but the the point is that it doesn't actually help. Right. Like what you know, you are not going to defeat uh, a movement that has that level of cultural energy that way. Uh, you, you can't punch all of them, you know, um, and even if, if you you're do, really they swole, you going. can. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, so, so in other words, it's a bad strategy, even aside from principles. Yeah, sorry. To be clear, I wasn't talking principle. I was talking strategy. But, but I'm fine with the principle stuff as well. I mean, I often think one of the reasons we have such a problem with the, the uh, free speech debate to sound really kind of stuffy and conservative is, like, we can't actually talk. We, we refuse to talk about manners, you know, like, People have to have basic manners, and that's a real problem because we, we we just see it as like rights or completely strategic practical stuff. Most of what regulates human behavior is uh, taboos and a system of manners that kind of regulates normal behavior. That's a, a really compli complicated thing that we all engage in every day. Um, and you know, I, I think that it's fine to say like. You have bad manners, you know. I mean, you, you're I, you're not part of the conversation because you cannot have the basic level of manners that are, is required for like an adult. So, to whom would we say this? No. Well, I mean, it's pointless to say it, but but but. Na I want names. <laughs> name names. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that it's so absent from the discussion. You know, we only talk about abstract rights or practical, strategic, political things, and actually, the reality is. You know, I would take a very kind of Freudian view that like societies are regulated by taboos, really right. complicated taboos that are present in absolutely everything we do. And uh, another way of saying that is manners. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of the certainly like because I write about the alt right and stuff like that, a lot of my interactions with them, the thing that annoys me most about them is their bad manners. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you tried to, have you pointed that out to them? No, there's no point. Could but be like, a game changer. Well, well I have kind of said, I kind of have argued in the book to some extent, like you, you cannot be making the case for civilization and have bad manners, you know? But, okay, doesn't Richard Spencer <laughs> kind of, uh, I like that. I'm going to get a tattoo of that. But doesn't, okay, and I know, doesn't Richard, isn't the danger of that, or, or doesn't that not apply to the smart, savvy people who aren't uh, rude, let's say? Who, but who cares about Richard Spencer? Richard Spencer's organization got 200 people to its national convention. This is a country of 320 million people. Meanwhile, Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General of the United States, right? Who cares if you punch Richard Spencer? What difference does it make? The average black family in this country has $125,000 le less in net worth than the average white family. 
okay? And we're talking about punching Richard Spencer in the face, right? The thing about the violence and the punching Nazis is we fixate on it because we are weak. It makes us feel good to see him get punched in the face. And for months, for months, all I saw was, yeah, we punched that Richard Spencer in the face. And everybody on left Facebook and everybody on left Twitter wanted you to know that morally that was fine. No, okay. but I'm saying the opposite. I'm trying to get at the opposite. I'm, like, trying to say, what is your response to that and why... Because if someone makes the argument that that's not strategically wise, they're shut down as cowardly, soft liberals, right? So that's why I'm bringing it up, not because I think it's a good idea. Shut down by who? By someone with a lot of Twitter followers and no power? I mean, uh, who cares? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, okay, but when you, you, you were saying that we need a vigorous theoretical debate, right? Uh, listen, my f this might be my favorite quote in politics, okay? Stokely Carmichael said... If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If a white man has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a problem of attitude, it's a problem of power, okay? If you want to spare black people from the Richard Spencers of the world, then what we do is empower them with public policy that does things like, like shrink this enormous income and wealth gap. Mm. We empower them by doing things like ending this horrible drug war in the carceral state, right? If you empower marginalized people, then they have the ability to secure their own interests. You know what, what group has a lot of bigotry that comes out of, against it? A group that's really hated is rich people. Does it matter? No, because rich people can secure their own interests, right? No one is weeping for the slurs against rich people because it doesn't matter, right? And that's what we need to do. We need to make marginalized people no longer marginalized. And I would prefer to have a conversation about how to actually achieve that rather than uh, fixating on some person with a bad haircut getting punched in the right. face because it doesn't matter. But you're matter. basically, so you're actually, agreeing with what I'm saying because my point is that we fixate on the Nazi punching and we see that as the work that we're doing, right? Right. Instead of the more concrete class-based, power-based work. So, oh my God, I can't believe that we're going to end on a, a note of agreement. Do you feel weird? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, it makes you feel great. Yeah. Wow. All right. This is a special moment. So, guys, uh, we're thank you so much. We're going to wrap up definitely the radio portion. Do we have – and then we're going to – so. Radio listeners, thank you for listening to the Katie Halper Show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you for participating. Angela Nagel. Uh, Freddie, to what are you on Twitter? On Twitter? Twitter? Yeah, it's like Ange Nagel. Ange Nagel on Twitter. Uh, Freddie DeBoer. Freddie DeBoer on Twitter. Freddie DeBoer, yeah. G Gabe Pacheco, which hey, is Gabe that. underscore Pacheco That's on it. Twitter. And then I'm, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, and of course, the hashtag KT Helps Show, and I'm KT Helps on Twitter. And don't go anywhere because we are going to do a free speech themed comedy show. You can go somewhere, which is to the bar. Um, but we have like a five minute, we're going to take a five minute break and then transition into the next phase. Uh, so thank you guys again so much. And make sure you go to uh, like us on Facebook and on uh, iTunes and rate and review us. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show. Please rate and review us on iTunes and please like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Also support our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And you'll get all sorts of great bonus content, including an extended interview with Sam Chris, who talks about the UK elections. 
And for this episode, some stand-up comedy that I did after the show, 